Welcome to Stemming in Stilettos with Dr. Tasha, a podcast for and about women of color in STEM. These women are brave, beautiful, and brilliant. Their stories deserve and need to be heard. Their voice strong, their message clear, their experiences priceless. Now let's welcome this wonderful winning woman of color to the show. everyone and welcome to this episode of Stimming in Stilettos and I am excited about our guest as I'm always excited about our guest but I promise y'all I try to bring you guys just the very best that, that is out there doing STEM who looks like us who is a minority woman who is you know blowing up the spot and doing all the things and so today's guest is no different. So welcome along with me, Dr. Messina Morris, and she's just going to, I can't even wait to hear her story, and I know you can't either, but first, I want to say hi. How you doing? I'm good. How are you? Thank you for having me. Oh, man. Listen, so for people who, who you know, don't know this, and, and I think my, my listeners do know this by now, because y'all, they've been with me. I got a loyal fan base, so thank y'all for, for tuning in every every other week. Um, but I stalk people. <laughs> I do. I'm, I am a professional stalker. Um, so LinkedIn is my friend. It is my my pad. It is, it's where I find my people. And, and that is where I found you. (laughs) Um, but you know, it's like one of those things where I don't know, I was, I was literally just, you know, sort of, let's see who's doing what in STEM, right? Generally that's my, my attitude. Cause I know, I don't know everybody like you, you think you kind of do cause you're, you're walking in spaces, you know, and the, the faces start to look familiar. Um, but then you're like, no, I don't, I don't, I don't know her. (laughs) (laughs) so I was like I think I want to know her so let's see let's see what we can work out here but I'm so glad that you said yes um without hesitation actually and so I really it just means the world to me um that that you did that and every time I get a guest on this show I, I, I mean and I've been doing this show for three, almost four years now. And every single time someone says, yes, I just do a little, I do a little, <laughs> I, just get, I get excited. So thank you for saying yes. Oh, thank you for the invite. So I, I have a confession. Mm-hmm. I'm a bit of a LinkedIn stalker myself. And so um, it's been about two years since I found you mm-hmm. and have been watching and following and I get the updates and I'm like, mm-hmm, when my time comes. <laughs> yes, Jesus. Look how he works. <laughs> and like, literally, I was not even, it wasn't that I, you know, you get busy into the work, right? And then I get this invitation. I was like, my time came. Come on. Hey. Because she oh, wears stilettos. Well, she I, used to Listen. But she definitely stem. I got listen. I got these tennis shoes on, but uh, and they cute. But I will throw on some stilettos every now and then. But these right. these tennis shoes are all are all the things, girl. Um, been barefoot for about three years. It, when I missed this. Yeah, so I go to conferences in person, and I'm like, 
pack your shoes. Like, right. Pack your shoes. <laughs> the last time I went, I think I was in D.C. I was doing a conference in D.C. and they had asked me to do one of their breakout sessions. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, they're they like, it's business attire. And I was like, mm-hmm. OK, <laughs> OK. I had those shoes on. I think I walked from my room to the room that I was speaking in. That was it. Saw I had. Yeah. yeah. That was it. I was like, listen, y'all excuse me, but this is what it's going to be today. <laughs> I actually gave a talk like that to some students. I, I, I was there and I was in heels and I was just ready to go. And I realized I hadn't really been in heels for a while. Mm-hmm. I told them, I said, baby, it's going to be so much better if I take these shoes off. So like, right. <laughs> let's <do this> again. <laughs> for sure. So I see, I see something in the background that just fills my heart with joy. And and so now I get to say, hey, Soar, how are you? <laughs> yes, my Soar, how are you? I'm wonderful. I am wonderful. Look at that. Goodness gracious, a lot. Listen, it, just, it doesn't get any, but I love when this is my discovery. Like, I mean, because of course we're everywhere, but at the same time, you're just like, okay, here we are. Because it's, this is a close knit group, right? I mean, we may not know each other, but we know each other's story, a little piece of it. Right. So I feel you. (laughs) (laughs) I'm looking at you, looking at me, we looking at each other. It's right. You see, that's that's what it is. It it is what it is. That is what it is for sure. Uh, Okay. So as we do, um, every single show, please tell us your STEM story. Oh, baby, I'm gonna have to go back in time for this one. Okay, I'm for it. Okay, so I hope y'all y'all are comfortable. But um, my STEM story starts pre Messina. Actually, mm-hmm. my STEM story starts before my actual conception because my STEM story starts with my brother whose name is Cordy, eight years my senior, mm. um, at the age of four had spinal meningitis, contracted spinal meningitis, and it left him brain damaged. So when I was born, I was born into a, a family um, with a special needs child, with a child who had a traumatic brain injury that I wanted to understand. I I do know a lot of my compassion and empathy towards people um, comes from the fact that I entered the world in a loving family, but I sensed a tragedy that was so unexplainable had occurred. Mm -hmm. And I knew that I was charged with somehow bringing closure to that situation. Wow. And that was a large charge to to know and always to know as a, as a young child. So I knew my brother's story and I knew how my mom and dad operated perhaps differently because of his life being altered. And I was raised with him. So my brother Gordy, my mom, Allison Gordon, uh, were young parents, uh, and they had to raise him with little to no resources mm. 
or um, the things that had happened to him. So he's cognitively 18 months, but he had a fever of 108 that burned out the left hemisphere of his brain. Wow. Um, and so my mom thought was, I'm going to raise my child. You know, back in the 70s, early 70s, when this occurred, it was, you know, you institutionalize the child and you move on with your life, right? It didn't have to exist. But my mother refused to do that. And so mm-hmm. she um, found a community of support in Islam and continued to nurture. And uh, I always tell people, my mom was Martha Stewart and organic before anybody else. So, you know, make sure that her next children were healthy and well. And uh, she was very, you know, natural. I didn't have Kool-Aid till I was 13. God forbid. But um, kind of grew up in that kind of family. But I also grew up very curious about his condition, um, wanting to always concoct some kind of medicinal something that was going to cure him. Mm-hmm. So my imaginative play was very serious play. My imaginative play was me going in my mama's kitchen and concocting something with flour, water, rice, anything, mixing it, turning colors, uh, and saying that I have this potion, right? This magical potion and I cured Gordy and now everything is right in the world. And so I always had this curiosity. And then as you matriculate through school and you are a very inquisitive and smart and curious child, you end up being tracked towards science and STEM. So mm-hmm. that's when I really learned that there were names for me going to mix and concoct things. And uh, we called that person a scientist. So throughout school, I was in the gifted program and I was um, in Invent America competitions. And so I've always not just been inquiry based, like a person that was wanting to discover and that curious child, but I also was very in- innovative. So always trying to come up with something new, um, technologically based or just something that I thought hadn't been done before because I was going to be that person that, you know, transformed lives. So I was always that child. When I was in high school, I was in a, um, uh, accelerated STEM program called STEM Tools and Techniques. And so we had classes primarily in every area of STEM that you can think of. I mean, meteorology, ornithology, uh, physiology, ecology. Wow. And also took chemistry. The interesting part about it was that I thought chemistry was so challenging and difficult. And I ended up with like a 97. Mm. In the yeah. And I was like, Oh, I like this. I don't like <laughs> wildlife like that. Like I like life. Yeah. But you know, that whole going out in the woods and um and looking at different birds and stuff, I was like, that's nice and everything, but when we take it back to the lab, what do we do with it? Right. Um, you know, um, so I I very much learned early on that perhaps I didn't want to be a medical doctor like I thought I did. <laughs> and um that maybe perhaps chemicals was more my speed. Mm. And I ended up getting a full scholarship to Clark Atlanta University to actually be a researcher. So you got your bachelor's and master's degree. The name of the program was called Prism D. And that M and D means that you were matriculate to the doctorate. And so they gave you a full scholarship with a bachelor's and master's degree. And it was sponsored through the Office of Naval Research to produce more Black 
doctors mm-hmm. um, or black PhDs primarily. And it was also a way that I knew I could go to school free. Now, back to my family structure, my parents ended up with four children. So I'm the third of four, but I have an older sister and also a younger brother. So four children, a special, special needs child. My father was an auto mechanic and he felt on army bed. My mom stayed at home primarily, but she was entrepreneurial, ran her own cleaning service, cosmetology. We had no money. Let's, let's, <laughs> let's so, just call a thing a thing, right? A thing. Now, you had love and you had food, but you didn't have no extras. So it was all about making sure that my intellect carried me through my education. And my mom stressed education. My father provided as much as he could. He would work on a thousand extra cards after work if he knew that was going to provide his baby a computer. So he bought yeah. my first Commodore 64. Um, and I was a little gamer girl, a little graphic designer. So I'm a bit of a creative, but then I was also this science head. And so I participated in STEM. And then when it was time to graduate from college, I was like, okay, they talked to us a lot about research. They talked a lot about um, us getting our doctorate. Do I really want to do that? Mm. And I've had a number of internships where I had been in an academic situation. So um, I was in academia and I got to experience what the life of a graduate student was like. And I was like, okay, I could kind of swing this. This is interesting. But I wasn't quite sure, hadn't found the space that really fed my need to understand my brother. Right, right. So I did at Emory University, one of the professors there was a neurochemist, mm. studied the dopamine transporter protein and drug addiction research, actually, so interactions between cocaine and the dopamine transporter protein. Mm-hmm. Not exactly what happened to my brother, but it was more in alignment than any of the other programs that I had sought after or that sought me. So, and it was home. So I'm from Atlanta, you know, grew up in Decatur, went to school here, went to college here, and it was familiar. And I don't like the cold and all the other places. But no. so, um, <laughs> That's a whole different subject. I'm going to need the sun. I was like, I, I knew seasonal affective disorder. She already said I, I was. Yeah. So I knew that family meant a lot to me. And. My support system was what was going to allow me to thrive, and it did. So went to Emory University and got my, so I didn't get my master's. I left early. So even though I finished school in three years, I didn't get my master's. Uh, something with funding, and I was like, I'm not waiting around to get a master's when I can get a PhD straight from a bachelor's. So I ended up going straight to Emory after four years. And wow. Master's and PhD there in biomolecular chemistry. So. Sheesh. So that's that's my road. The the interesting thing about that road is um I um had children early. Did you? Yes. So um I am a mother of five sons and uh I started graduate school with two. So, right. So, right out of school, Ooh. two times, two and four, um, and they went to school with me. So, I was a mother young, and um, 
So me and my partner at the time, who is now my husband, uh, we started life young. And so I was building a family and trying to build a career. Girl, you was doing all the things. All the things. All at once. All at the same time. Wow. And it's still that way because my children's gap, age gap is huge. So uh, 26 is the oldest, 23 is the next. And then I have 17, 14, and then five. Oh, so let's just say I'm still in the trenches. Yes, you are. I've been picking up uh, Mm. toys off the floor. While you while you've been earning, you know, degrees and doing things and starting a whole career and yikes. Yes. So I while at Emory realized that I had a talent for teaching mm-hmm. and a really a gift for teaching and that I actually like being in the classroom. So I went into the K-12 space afterwards, got my teaching certification. And I thought that would be good as a mom to kind of be on the same schedule with my children too. Mm -hmm. I did not recommend. And um, (laughs) yeah, no. So I I like high school age children, but there are a lot of different layers to teaching in K-12. I'm still a certified teacher, but um, I chose to go into higher education and practice in my discipline because I could do research. Yeah. Along that way, I found out that my son had autism. So my son that is 14 at the age of three was diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder. And that to me was reliving my life story all over again. Wow. Here I am now with four children and one has special needs and he has moderate support needs, meaning he's limited verbal. And so I needed a way to continue my work. I didn't want to not work in my field or in my area. Um, I had worked a lot with the brain, done neuropharmacology, you know, neurochemistry and those kind of things. And so what I started to do was align the research efforts that I had with some of the things that were still uh, curious to me in terms Mm -hmm. of like, what happened to my own child's brain? You know, what didn't develop and, and what is going on with that? And so started looking at nutrition and doing dissolution studies with vitamin D and vitamin D at the third brain axis. And that was when I was at Spelman. <clears throat> Fast forward, I uh, did a stint in K-12 again and realized, yeah, no, I still, K-12 is not it and found my way to Morehouse. And so um, have been at Morehouse for seven years. I've always used innovative t- technology um, because I'm also an analytical chemist, so we use instrumentation, right? right? Uh, so that means that I got to play with real uh, cutting-edge software and programs. Yeah. I like that kind of stuff, so I'm a bit of a tinkerer. And um, so I started studying, still looking at dissolution studies, but then I didn't have any bench space at Morehouse because we just just the institution, and I'm just coming in, you know, we're short on space. But they had a makerspace. Oh. So I started working in the makerspace and I taught analytical chemistry. And I was trying to find a project that could still allow me to do some research and still kind of probe at some of the questions that I had. And so my number one thing was inclusion of the neurodivergent in STEM. Obviously, I have a child that has autism. And how could he also 
uh, be a part of STEM. So they have one of the highest unemployment rates, regardless of educational um, level. So 85% of those who have autism and live on the spectrum, even if they have a college degree, are unemployed. Wow. And that was really telling for me, because especially as I started to think futuristically about what does my son's quality of life look like and what, right. how would he support himself beyond me? But wait, 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 wait. You gotta, you can't, I can't, I, what? <laughs> you gotta go back. So 80, 85, 85%. 85 percent unemployment rate. Wow. I, I, I'm shocked. Um, That's I'm, all disabilities. So including physical disabilities and even those who have cognitive disabilities, like those people who can work, like that have Down syndrome or even cerebral palsy or just like some other types of disabilities, they have the highest. And they don't actually have targeted vocational rehabilitation services that serve the needs of those who have autism either. Do you think it's because people don't understand what it is and they don't know how to, for lack of a bit, they don't know how to deal with, with, with individuals who are autistic or on the spectrum? Absolutely. So a lot of it has to do with, there's been a lot to bring awareness to the fact that autism exists. Mm-hmm. But some people think it's an educational problem. Some people think it's a medical problem. Some people just don't know how to approach it or when interventions are necessary and appropriate. So there's this kind of gray area uh, about how do we handle, educate, and accommodate those with autism in society overall. Well, apparently and, we're doing it badly. We're not handling it. No, it's a billion dollar problem. It's a billion dollar problem. Um, right now, when my son was first diagnosed, one in 68 children were diagnosed with autism. Now it's one in 44. Wow. Uh, yeah. So the numbers are staggering and one in 45 adults actually live on the spectrum. So that that those are the new numbers uh, coming out of the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. And those, to me, are statistically significant numbers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's saying that we as a whole, as a society, should do more. And so bring in me working in the makerspace. And what I started to do was 3D print specialized laboratory equipment for those who have autism. Mm-hmm. And what it did for what it did for my students was my analytical chemistry students learned a real world application for precision, uncertainty, and accuracy. Mm-hmm. Why measurement was so necessary. Um, my they learned about how quantities are derived, and then how to actually create something that would actually help change the trajectory and the livelihood and the life of someone with special needs. So they learned that part. Um, what it would do for the autism community is provide valuable transferable skills for people who are on the spectrum to be able to work in laboratory settings without the harm of dealing with glass because mm-hmm. prints are plastic um, and glares, any sensory processing disorders, um, the fact that glass is slippery, we created systems that have grip on them, um, but it gives them an opportunity to work in a field that we're going to need people. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the work that is done in STEM is tedious and repetitive. Mm-hmm. But 
for people who have autism, routine and structure is really important and vital to them being successful. Right. Uh, I developed an entire system where whether they were verbal or nonverbal, they could use this system. Um, so we iconized all of the um, quantities, their fixed interval quantities. And so they could use this along with all of the other educational um, work that they already do to um, create communication. So it, it works in tandem with the text system, which is, I'm about to mess this up, but it's a, mm-hmm. it's a communication system that is, that is global. Uh, and so most, most people use that with people who have autism. So I can't even, I got to tell you, I love this story so much. I mean, and, and not to, you know, not from a, you know, like, oh my God, I can't, you know, but from the standpoint of you saw a problem and you, and you found, or maybe sort of kind of felt, you know, found yourself in this, you know, in, in this environment where you're like, you know what, I'm going to make this work. I'm going to make it work. Not only am I going to make it work for me, I'm going to make it work for my students, but I'm also going to put this in a broader category that can actually help my son and others, others that fall on that spectrum. Um, in, in which I think is really beautiful. Um, and it's sort of like, that's what STEM does. That's what STEM gives you the opportunity to do. And it's so, you know, it's like, cause I'm a, I'm going to tell you, I don't know that I would have been able to put together analytical chemistry maker space together. I just don't. And I think I'm a creative, you know, creative engineer myself. Right. right. You know, you're, you're a creative scientist, but I don't know if I would have put those two together and I'd have been like, I, OK, let's see what happens here. I don't know what's going, you know, but yeah. you you saw it some somehow, you know, God gave it to you. You saw it and, and you've made it work. I love that. Thank you. So um, so we use that system and it I published and, and spoken on it um, with the American Chemical Society. I was a American Chemical Society analytical fellow where we used active learning strategies to teach analytical chemistry. And so um, they helped me really build out modules for and actually it became a real viable product. So like then that turned into a research lab uh, because now <laughs> people wanted to actually how do we get involved? Oh my gosh, what you're doing is is so valuable and it has meaning and we want to get involved with it. And so then the Morris Research and Innovation Lab uh, kind of took off from there. And um, our goal is really, I call it STEAM HITS. So it's like science, technology, engineering, arts, agriculture, and mathematics. And then the HITS is H-I-T-T-S and stands for Helping inclusivity through technological solutions. So everything that the Morris Research and Innovation Lab and our students do is on the cutting bleeding edge of technology to provide some type of inclusive strategy or solution for others with different needs, whether they're neurodivergent, have a physical disability, if it is a technological tool that can bring back like their quality of life or enhance their life in some way, then we look at that as a problem. Wow. That we can wow. solve. I, I feel like it it I feel like I should clap. <laughs> I feel like I, 
I mean, and that's just because I'm just like, this is, it's so meaningful. And it's the, this is the meaningful work. Like, you know, when, when I was an engineer, it, it's always been for me, like, how do I use what I've learned for the betterment of my community um, and, you know, my people? Um, and I feel like this is that, right? Like you are, you are actively engaged in doing in doing that, because not only is it does it help your child, but it helps so many other people who may not, you know, who may or may not look like him. Um, you know, it's just it's amazing. Um, and I don't want you to ever forget it. Like the work that you're doing when when you look back over, um, you know, your life and what you've done, like what you're doing is absolutely amazing. Thank you. Now. I do have a question and this is for my listeners, but it's also because I've heard the term, but um, I don't know that I've had someone really explain it to me. So when you say neurodivergent, mm-hmm. what is that? What does that mean? So we're all amongst the neurodivergent, but there are two terms that basically are used now um, as a way of bringing people first kind of thinking to the table. Um, so neurodivergent just means that your brain is different or diverse or versatile, thinks in or processes information differently. Um, typically when you're talking about neurodivergent, you're talking about them in comparison to what we call neurotypical people. Mm-hmm. So neurotypical would just be your average person. It doesn't have any type of learning disability or challenge. So no dyslexia, no ADHD, no ADD, no dysgraphia, no, uh, you know, apraxia, no speech and language deficits, no specific learning disability, like nothing, no emotional behavior disorder, just that just your neurotypical person. Now you find that person, you let me know. (laughs) Right. Where's this person? (laughs) Okay. So neurodivergent is really uh, descriptive of all people. Um, but primarily it's a way to to not just say the cognitively disabled or call people disabled. Um, differently abled is more appropriate of a term. Exceptional learners or those with exceptional needs. Mm-hmm. Um, special needs is also kind of being phased out. When my brother was diagnosed, his actual diagnosis on his paper says profoundly mentally retarded. So we've come a long way in terms of terminology to describe conditions that are inherently different than what we are used to seeing. So neurodivergent will encapsulate those who have different learning needs mm-hmm. and have used different strategies to uh, help meet those needs. Um, so that's that's what I mean by neurodivergent. Okay. All right. Well, uh, I wrote this down <laughs> that we are all neurodivergent. We're all neurodivergent, all <laughs> neurodiverse. So at, at the end of the day, every child, every human being has their own personal internal struggles with the way that they process information mm-hmm. and the way the information is fed through them. Um, and, and that's why we have creative people and creative minds and we have different disciplines and different sectors. Um, that we all work with, and um, it's because we are different. Right. But 
we label what seems to be more different by a specific amount um, than what we're used to, um, especially in the educational system. So um, fast forwarding to just more innovation, I use innovation in my classes. I've done um, upper bound math science and COVID hit. And so we're trying to find other ways to engage students. And we started looking into virtual reality. Mm. And that's that started another entire cycle of Dr. Morris does innovation, try this. And it was like, okay, I'll try this synchronous learning environment. We have partners, Victory XR, who we had worked with. They had an asynchronous learning platform uh, with the three degrees of freedom system, um, the PICO headset. Mm-hmm. We used that um, with our first generation college students that are in high school. They would be first generation college students. So I was the science research coordinator for the Morehouse Upper Bound Math Science Program for about seven years. And um, during COVID, we did robotics with the students. But one of the things we did was asynchronous virtual reality. And it was tethered already to the next generation science standards. And that's mm-hmm. why we chose the company Victory XR. They also had a synchronous learning platform, but they did not have anyone to kind of pilot it. And they asked Morehouse, would we, would, you know, we're already in partnership. Do you want to try it? We tried it, um, loved it. And I was like, there's no chemistry on here. And uh, <laughs> he was like, well, you can build it. And I was like, great. I can build chemistry content for virtual reality during a pandemic while homeschooling on my kids. Wow. Uh, with dementia and just stuff. So anyway, I'm, I'm that kind of person that just loves another challenge. And so... Um, I began to build out my advanced and organic chemistry course in virtual reality. Uh, so what does that look? I'm so curious. So what does that look like? So you're in virtual. Are y'all use, what? What? I mean, it's Victory XR. XR that's, what that's the educational company. But we're Morehouse in the metaverse. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, OK, metaverse. OK. Yep. So. um we use the Engage platform. Victory XR provided the software development and engineering that we needed, helped us create the assets that we needed. And we as teachers, so it's me and three other of my colleagues, uh, Dr. Ethel Vereen in biology, Dr. Tanya Clark in English, and Dr. Ovell Hamilton in history, that embarked on the very crazy idea to, <laughs> to build out these courses in virtual reality in 60 days. So in 60 days from conception to us trying it, we worked together to create our full courses in virtual reality. On the now, is it, is it, is it four, four courses or is like, is this a combined course that you all have like? Oh, no, we had our own individual course. Oh, Lord. Right. How long is a semester? Uh, exactly. It's 16 <laughs> Well, at the time, I think we were down to 13 week semesters simply because of COVID. Right, we're remote, so thirteen weeks to um to to be in virtual reality um, and make that the classroom for our students, and it was a wild success. So we started seeing student achievement increases. We started to see student attendance rates increase. No withdrawals out of these courses. I know for my chemistry students, it was 
enlightening because you can't see molecules. You cannot see the molecular world. And I was able to bring the molecular world to life where they were able to actually see molecules, manipulate them, and see symmetry and coordination chemistry and things that they never would have ever been able to do and do it in places and locations they never would have been able to do it in. So oh, love this. Built molecules in space. So they were astronauts and they had the astronaut suits on and they saw themselves embodied into mm-hmm. um, this persona of what a scientist is and could be, um, which I feel like in their own words made them feel like they were a scientist. Like yeah, they, I love that. I mean, you know, it's like this is what a real scientist does. I, if I was, if that was me, that was my class, I couldn't wait to get to class. I, they, could, they, I mean, I left them in class sometimes. Like, <laughs> now, Dr. Morris has children. I have to go and, and feed my children. I will make you the host. You are welcome to explore every world on here. And uh, so after the lesson is over, but I'm gone. And students, literally, they were buying extra cables to make sure that they were tethered in because they didn't want their heads to die. Because you get about two hours on the MetaQuest 2. Yeah. Like, they were buying the battery packs to put on their heads. <laughs> they went all in. And so we at Morehouse have gone from three courses um, to start out to now, excuse me, I think I'm landing at 10 courses. <gasps> I, I keep having more professors say, please let me just, just come into this cohort. I have this idea. So uh, we've been developing and demoing 24 headsets amongst faculty, but we have over 500 medical headsets on campus. Um, we've done some outreach with uh, Utopian Academy for the Arts and their educators within educator well-being and so doing meditative practice and mindfulness um, and seeing how that correlates with student achievement. I am no longer the department chair of chemistry. I left from chemistry and moved to education. One, my time was up, but two, I am K-12 certified and I felt like it would be advantageous for me to train pre-service teachers, teachers who want to be teachers, on how I use innovation uh, to differentiate instruction for all different types of learners and engage them. Plus, I am the Metaversity Director, and that means that um, having enough bandwidth and capacity to be able to study learning outcomes in education and what that really means is important. And so being in education is a really great place to to be. Um, So I do professional development for other educators as well. So I have office hours for educators on Sundays uh, where I train them on Metaverse, all things Metaverse learning on engaged platforms and um, help them strategize ways to do their develop their courses um good good night i i when do you sleep i sleep well i (laughs) sleep well uh because when um when when it's over it's over like uh what didn't get done today god bless it i mean you know there's there's this quote uh thing about ralph ralph waldo emerson that says finish the day and be done with it Girl, I need that. What? What is that? In fact, that needs to be across my forehead. <laughs> I mean, and, and every time I look at, because it's on my it's on my board right here, 
it's just it's just a reminder to me, like, you know, whatever happened today happened today. And and that is that. Don't take that into tomorrow because, hey, Girl, you know, finish the, the let, me, let me get my pen together. Hold on. Because <laughs> that is the best quote. And be done with it, honey. That's better than what I was going with. <laughs> Yeah, I I look at it and I live by that. It's like, I will take out, and now I will tell you, I will take it straight to 1159, though. (laughs) I am that girl. I'll take it straight to 1159, but like 12 o'clock. Okay. It was, it was, that was another day. So, but you know, I, I enjoy the work that I do, and it is in alignment with kind of still finding ways to layer inclusion in for neurodivergent person yeah I to really my, my heart's work is to to create my own neurodiverse uh, uh institute for mm-hmm. those who have autism that they can learn social emotional um skill building executive functioning skills ways to exist in the world uh safely well tell me this how close are you to to making that a reality I say I, I give. I'm on a two year timeline. I had two years in my spirit. I was like, nah, I think it's two years. Seriously, yeah. I'm excited for you. you. This is gonna. I mean, what you're doing is already blowing up because I see again stalker. Um, but I see what you're doing on LinkedIn, and I, you know, I see the pictures. I've seen. Um, I've read some of the some of the some of the things that you you know are just have put out. Um, but, and I just think it's some of the, it's just the coolest thing. And I can't recall seeing anybody else doing it the way in which you're doing it. And that just, it just mm, hits me right here because, um, one, it's needed Two, it's just sort of like, it's like that thing where you like, when you see it, you're like, man, why did I think of that? But I'm so glad she did. Right. (laughs) You know, it kind of took on life of its own. So my husband is in tech. He's a network engineer for AT&T, but he is also a gamer. Like, mm. hardcore, always game. All my boys game. I told him, I said, you just wanted five best friends to go to shopping. Okay. Play your game. But he made he, it happen. <laughs> he did. Very adamantly. Okay. Uh, so, um, but he always talk to me, you know, because I would be like, I, I'm a little gamer girl too now. Like, I like the game. I was I was into Super Mario Brothers and everything. So like I like tech and I like playing. Right. Games. But for him it is it's it's different. And so I would you know how mothers are get off that game. You know, you don't need to and he and I had a real serious conversation as to like what is too much time to spend on a game. And what I realized is his outlook on what gaming is is different. And I took a step back to think about how to meet my own student and my children where they are through gaming, because gaming helps build a different type of critical thinking skill. It does. It does. Yes. Young, especially for young black men, they get to make decisions without repercussions. Mm. And that gives them confidence in their ability to be leaders. Usually and now more often than not, they play these games in collaboration with one another. So they also learn teamwork and collaboration. They know just when to show up 
and when to sit back and let others lead. Mm-hmm. They also learn how to be creative in the way that they communicate with one another. Because it's your teammate, you want to also root them on. So they learn about words of affirmation and ways to encourage and root for the team, even when they're down. So, so many essential 21st century skills come out of gaming. And I know that that can be transferred to increase engagement in the classroom. Yeah. Different learners. I think that we're dealing with, well, I know for a fact we're dealing with a different set of students and in order to secure talent in our future we've got to be more creative in our educational practices we've got to bring joy back to learning and for me it really revived my own career mm. because after doing chemistry the same way and I never did it the same way I'm one of those kind of people like people are like so your classes should be ready because you've done it. You've taught it for five years. And I'm like, no. Right. So these students learn is going to be different from the way that my other students learn. And so like, I really do a deep dive in the type of students. Of course, I have an outline of what the student learning outcomes are, but my approach will always be different. So I don't think I've ever taught the same class the same way. Ever. Not the sounds- same way. That sounds just like me um, when I was teaching because I I did a, I did a um I did a stint. A uh, come on, come on, stint in in, uh, <laughs> in K twelve as well. Taught taught high school mathematics in engineering courses, um, and I was like, okay, and I love my I love my I love those kids. I love them, but I was like, I don't know how people do this all like you know. Just long term, like I, it, I totally understand teacher burnout. Totally get it, right? You know, because the level, the level of need versus the level of support, it they're not equal, right? They are not not equal, and they're not even they're 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 unbalanced in the wrong way, right? You know, so I was, you know, and I'm an I'm in a family of educators, so like we talk about these things all all the time. And um, I was just like, well, you know, like I didn't I wasn't one of those teachers who was like, you can't have your cell phone in my class. Don't talk. You know, I'm like, no, no, we're going to use these things if they're in here. Um, If you're going to bring it in here, then we're going to use it. We're going to do some math. Oh, you know what? There's a there's a graphing app. Oh, okay, let's do, you know, so. And then so no class was the same. And they were like, Anderson, what are you doing in this classroom? People, you know, the kids want to come to your room when they don't Mm -hmm. even they're not even your class. Yep. Uh, but you know, so like, I totally, I totally, totally get that. So, and so when I went to college, uh, I, I taught at the community college level, the technical college level, um, you know, and it was way more hands-on, but it was so old school even then, you yeah. know? And I was like, who is, you know, cause I taught engineering courses and I was like, yo, we're not, we don't have a T square and a board anymore. We have CAD, right? We have right. 3D CAD. Like what, you yeah. know, where we can oh, take yeah. a house and we can flip it upside down, turn it up, turn it around. We can see, we can take a walk through the building. Like, why are we, why are we, why do we still have a class where we're telling them, teaching them how to write their letters? Like what, what are we doing? And, and that's the problem. Yeah. Yes. Oh, the curriculum is so antiquated. And um, we have got to do better about making sure that our students come out industry ready. Right. You know, um, nobody goes to school 
I could tell you what I didn't, but I know even more now this generation is. I did not go to school to be begging about my coin. Okay. <laughs> I mean, speak on right. that. So Woo. these students are going to school to secure the bag. Yeah. Every song on the radio, if you are paying attention, even the gospel song is talking about securing the bag. Okay. So when people start to talk about the root of all evil and all of this, mm-hmm. that and the other about money, you tell them that God said that wisdom is an asset, is a defense. And he also says that money is also a defense. So you're not about to tell me about what my God said about money because money allows you to defend your family. Okay. Their ability to live a good life, their ability to not need or covet or break any of God's laws. So listen here, I'm about helping these young people who are slaughtered by student debt. Yeah. Get an education. Okay. Uh, So another question for you. I think yeah. I just read something, was it today or yesterday, about, I guess I just want to pick your brain, me and I pick your brain, long, long term. I do want to ask you about esports. What's your, feelings? What's your feelings, your thoughts, and, and what whatever's happened at Morris, is it Morris Brown? Morris Brown, yeah. yeah. The esports, is, um, which I think is huge. I was so... Um, so pleased and happy when uh, when was that announcement made? About a year ago, maybe a year and a half ago, um, uh, that they were offering esports, and I was like, right, yes, I've watched. So you know, like you know, you can watch some some of these competitions on YouTube or um, Twitch, and you're like, where are the where are the people who look like me? Like where are those folks? Let me tell you something. I am the esports co advisor along with Professor Mickey Harris. We uh, are both in the metaverse, but we are also the esports co advisors of uh, Tiger Gaming at Morehouse. Okay. And so we are getting ready to um, establish a gaming lab uh, for our own students as well. Do so we. I am extremely excited about the possibilities of what gaming can do. TSU has a gorgeous. Uh, gaming center as well. More Brown is we have consulted with them just to figure out like what they have done. Um, I, it is a student led organization, and I am just the advisor. But we are excited and thrilled that these students have worked very diligently on building relationships with community um, partners and uh, technology companies that will help them build out this space. Um, and so we're really excited about what that can be. Oof. For them. Um, you my, just made my day. Listen, my son, uh, my oldest son is 26. His, his fiance, her brother, Leslie Green, is the esports champion for FIFA. Really? Yes. Wow. Love so that. He actually won. And we were upstairs all watching him. Uh, it was on ESPN, and we were just screaming and yelling. And he won, and we cried and just celebrated. Like, and it's and it's celebrate. a big deal. It's a. I just want people to know because you know, again, like you were saying earlier, you know, when you're telling the kids get off the game, like I need you to rethink that. Like this is not our Mario Brothers, right? Or Mario Kart, right? This is not that. This is a job. 
This yeah. is a money making venture. This yeah. is a way to secure the, you know, secure the bag. Secure this is the bag. way you can go to college on a scholarship. You yeah. can learn, you know, like you can learn the strategies. You can do all of the things you can develop your mind in which, you know, you can use in a multitude of different ways. And it's, it's just more than that. And, um, it's just, we're, I just feel like we, we have arrived late to the game, but I always know that even though we arrive late, we dominate when we get there. So what they say, <laughs> the party don't start till I roll through. Till I walk in, that's hey, right. <laughs> so, um, I tell people, no, we're not late to the party, but we will be if we don't get on the bandwagon. Yeah. So I am real vocal about what I call opportunistic reality. Mm-hmm. Um, Extended reality technologies plus education is opportunistic reality. Our students are able to chart their path through um, to success any way that they see fit. All these games don't make themselves. They have more than it's more than just a gamer. It's the, right. the developer. It's the content creator. It's the storyteller. It's the Person the coder, that, uh, it's the graphic yeah. designer, it's the it's there's so it's so vast so and, many and broad that yeah. and and people don't necessarily so you know people don't understand it like you know you you see the front side right you see right. like the grant you're looking at it but you don't understand like you know that's like three people working together to make that thing happen right you know oh, so <laughs> right and and all of them getting paid right you know right. So, so you're just like. Yo, this is this is you're looking at the 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 culmination of years of work. It's not like they just went there yesterday and they came out. You know, it's like no, 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 no. And a multitude of skills that it took to get there. Right. And I tell people all the time, you know, people who are like, but it's still a game. And what about them being a doctor or a lawyer? Blah blah blah. blah. I'm like, listen, when you're sitting in a the movie theater, at the end, what happens? What happens at the end, Tasha? You get them credits. You get the credits. I said, have you ever seen how many names roll through the credits? It's not just the cast. Right. You've got a, a gripper, a, somebody assistant to this, a person. You got somebody that just held their hand out, okay? And I'm not just talking about cast and extras. There is an entire crew. Yeah. And all of these people commission a check. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And their name is in the credits. So when you think about gaming, you think about these innovative technologies and your, your child, they won't get off Roblox. They just continue to build virtual worlds. They're right. building community. They're creating something. Excuse me. Those things are transferable skills that the workplace is missing. And people forget that baby boomers are retiring and passing on to glory and also no longer in the workforce. Right. And they were the largest generation. So now we have a gap in jobs. Okay. How many people are going into manufacturing? Not that many. How many people look at the infrastructure of the United States and just look at our roads, streets, bridges, all of those things have to be built. Now they're going to be built using technological tools. But if you don't even have to know the first thing about what makes making a building in a virtual world work, then right. what makes you think that you're going to come out here and know what it means in yeah. the real world? 
I totally agree. And I don't think people put it together that the two actually go together, like virtual reality and reality. Like, right. You know, it's a way to give students experience and exposure that they weren't going to be able to get, just like how the internet um, showed you how large the world was, but it also made the world quite small for you too. Mm -hmm. Um, That's what virtual reality is doing. It's just now that you get to embody being a part of these virtual environments. Imagine taking an entire class to Egypt, just like that. You know, we've always wanted to teleport ourselves in different environments and we haven't quite gotten to the Jetsons level. (laughs) No, not quite. But in virtual reality, we can. We can go back in time and visit different time eras and actually be in the midst of what was going on. You can go into a futuristic world. You can go into space. You can go on Mars. What about visiting Jupiter? You can go to all of these different places that you couldn't even imagine or fathom. But then even visiting and having lunch under the Eiffel Tower. What if that is what you want to do? Meditating under Mount Fuji. What if that's what you want to do? Go into um, experience the Arctic. You know, all of those things can be done. Now, no, you won't feel cold. (laughs) Now they're working on olfactory kind of senses. Right. But um, all of those things will come together in the end. But it's just about what your mind is cognitively viewing. Um, And one of the things that we're doing at Morehouse, too, besides just the academic side, are these other life-giving activities like galas and commencement exercises and homecoming events and just showcases where students can come and learn and just be on the campus socializing, building community and hanging, Mm -hmm. um, hanging together. And so that also is a part of campus life. But another part of it is them learning to create. So they're learning how to develop on unit. And we have a unity grant that is supporting that work. Um, And so they're able to create these culturally responsive spaces, spaces that are warm and feel like spaces that they want to be a part of. And we're also looking at culturally appropriate avatars and those representations. Because when I go in to whatever space, I'm still Black. I'm still going to be a Black me. I mean, I might go in as a furry or a dinosaur or a giraffe if that's the, the speed I'm feeling. But for the most part, I want to be represented in the in the metaverse spaces myself. I'm still yeah. a Black woman. Yeah. People are behind these avatars. And so understanding that there are also biases that will lie there. Mm-hmm. And how do we put a humanity first kind of twist and approach to all of the things we're doing and understand what representation in this space means. So that's why I tell them, I don't want to see the table. We building the table. We building the table. Yeah. Oh, okay. I'm going to leave that right there. I just, I just wrote down, we building the table. That's what, that's what I wrote down. And they ask me why, and I tell them humanity can't wait. Lord. Yes, I feel like I just, I feel like we just had a sleepover. (laughs) We just made some s'mores and like, you know, now we're just like talking about like old boyfriends and past relationships. 
All the good stuff. All the good stuff. Getting to the good. <laughs> okay, so tell people um, if they are going to be looking for you, and they are going to be looking for you, where they can find you. UniteTheMetaverse.com. So all my social sites are on my website. Um, my company, Metaverse United, is specifically there to help people find where they belong in the environment of the internet called the metaverse. So we will be putting out, right now I am doing a lot of different speaking engagements and, um, but soon, coming up soon, there's a few projects uh, coming up, I will be putting out information and educational tidbits, all fun, because I feel like you should have a good time when you're learning um, about what things uh, lie ahead for the future of the world and the metaverse and education and different disciplines. Wow. And all that stuff. So, uh, Love it. Love it. So they, y'all, y'all heard it here first. You got to go to the website um, and check and check it out. Um, she does have a LinkedIn page. Um, you can probably oh, find her. Right. You can probably find her somewhere on Morehouse, um, Morehouse website. I don't know. I just threw that out there, but she's going to tell me later. <laughs> mm-hmm. but um, so okay so here's the last question of uh, our time together and it is if you could travel back through time back through the metaverse um <laughs> and talk to your younger self what advice would you give her and why oh you are enough you are enough and you have every tool that you need to be who God created you to be. You are fascinating and you are bold. You are innovative and you are loving and kind and never change that part of yourself for anyone. You may cry. You may hurt. It may be hard, but you are worth every bit of that journey. Mm. Uh, go for it. I love it when it's, it's, the interview just goes a place. And always talk to God. Yeah. I, you know, I've always had a strong faith, but what I would tell my younger self and what I know now is knowing of God and knowing God. Is two different things. two different things. Yeah, you said that. Not have to be a human doing to earn the love of God. Mm. All He asks is that you be a human being. Mm. Go be with Him, and everything else will be fine. Oh, I got chills. I got chills. Okay, y'all. Um, that concludes today's episode of Stimming Stilettos with Dr. Tasha. Um, Dr. Morris, you are amazing. And I thank you for just giving me an hour of your day today um, to, to talk to me about what it is you're doing, what it is you're, you want to do, um, and, where, and ha- where the motivation came for all of this. It's very inspiring. And I know that some woman somewhere is going to be just blown away and inspired by you. That is the hope. 
<laughs> all young women to keep going, you know, in spite of whatever your circumstance, your mother keep going, your single mother keep going, you you have duties as a daughter or, or a sister to other obligations, keep going, live your dream, chart your own path. You are worth it. Love. Love. All right, you guys. Um as I end every show, y'all, okay, keep yourself safe until we meet again. Thank you for listening to this episode of Stemming in Stilettos. Please check out the show notes to get additional information about today's guest or today's topic. You can find the podcast on every major podcast platform. You can find additional information about Dr. Tasha at www.drtasha.com. Thanks again, and don't forget to tune in every Tuesday for the latest episode of Stemming in Stilettos.